Amen. Don't we serve a wonderful God? Yes, we do. Amen. What a good, good God. We're going to move on in our sermon series right now, and, and we're talking about how does God grow his church? That's the question we're answering, and we're walking through the early part, uh, early life of the church in the book of Acts, answering the question, how does God grow his church? Usually on the front end of my sermons, I do a children's message. Um, today I'm going to do one, but our children are going to teach us a lesson about how God grows his church. And so I want to start right here. So did you guys know the Bible teaches us that God grows his church by the believers and the people of his church being bold and being willing to tell people about him? So I, I want to ask Sophie a question. Sophie, do you love Jesus? Would you tell the church that? Yes. I love Jesus. Wonderful. Let's see. Alethea, do you love Jesus? You want to tell the church about it? I love Jesus. You want to try? I love Jesus. Anybody else? You want? Laura? I love Jesus. Awesome. Do you, you love Jesus? Do you want to tell the church? I love Jesus. She did that with an orange in her mouth. All right. <laughs> Any other kids in here love Jesus? You want to try? You don't have to. It's okay. If you want to try later, you can tell me. Any other kids? Anybody? Over here. Come here. She'll come up here anytime. She doesn't care. Do you love Jesus? Do you, do you want to tell the church? Yes. I love Jesus. Amen. Now, right now, I know what you guys are thinking, the adults. Right now, is he going to come to me with the microphone? I'm not going to do that. Because I wanted our kids to teach us a lesson about being bold for Jesus. Those kids, every one of them, in front of this whole church, just had a microphone put in front of their face, and they told you, I love Jesus. And they serve as an example to us about how God grows His church. God grows His church through boldness. Boldness inside of his church. Boldness to share the gospel. Boldness to tell other people that you love Jesus. Now our church over the past few months has experienced an exciting amount of growth. We've had people saved and baptized. We've had people come forward and join the church. We've had people taking steps of faith. And that growth in all circumstances happened because people took steps of faith to share the gospel, to follow through in obedience with the Word of God. All of that took place because of boldness. I've heard so many stories from you all about telling your neighbor about Jesus, about telling people that come into this church to serve in various ways about Him and about inviting him uh, by, about inviting them to come to church. And, and that's how God grows his church. It reminds me of this lady that was a part of our very first church plant named Lily, Miss Lily. Miss Lily was the sweetest lady. Senior adult woman had been healed of brain cancer, by the way, by the Lord, and had the medical records to prove it. It's amazing. Miss Lily was a tiny woman, real, real small, short, and the gentlest woman you probably ever met, 
but she was on fire for the Lord. And we used to do on the front, on the, on the toward the beginning of our uh, toward the beginning of our ministry in this particular neighborhood, we used to go out into the community and knock on doors and invite people to church and share the gospel. Well, Lily was out with a group of people in uh, one part of the neighborhood, and there was this group of older teenage boys playing basketball out in the street. And so I think she was actually with Darlene. I wasn't with her on that trip. I was with another group. And Miss Lily just had it in her heart that those boys over there need to hear the gospel. She's this frail, older lady with absolutely no fear whatsoever. And she would say, Why, what do I have to fear? I was supposed to be dead of brain cancer. God healed me. So every day I have is like a, a bonus. So she had chosen to live for the Lord. And she was bold with her faith. And so she walked up to these boys, and she had all these boys around here with her Bible, and she shared the gospel with them. And they weren't real interested, um, but they listened to this old lady tell them the story about Jesus. And she sat with them for 30, 40 minutes, boldly declaring the gospel. Miss Lily and those of you that are bold in your faith serve to remind us about what Jesus desires for us to do as believers, to boldly share the gospel. And that's how God grows his church. Now, take your Bibles and open them up to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, beginning verse 23. What we're going to see first is the gathered body endures together and grows bold together. The gathered body endures together and grows bold together. Verse 23 says this, after they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So what's going on here? Peter and John, remember, had gone to the temple during the hour of prayer about 3 p.m. They're walking in. There's a beggar at the gate begging for money. Peter looks at him and says, I don't have any silver or gold to give you, but what I have I give to you. Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. And he rises up, he's jumping for joy, he's celebrating what God did in his life. And for that good deed, for that act of faith, Peter and John found themselves in front of the religious leaders on trial for sharing the gospel. And so they were brought in front of the Sanhedrin, roughly 70 of the most powerful men in the city of Jerusalem, to talk about what just happened. And they boldly stand in front of this group and tell them, it's not us, it's not by our power that this man was healed. It is by the power of Jesus Christ, the one whom you crucified, the one whom you murdered. It's him. He didn't stay dead, he rose again. And now through his power, we tell people about him because he's the Messiah. He's the reason why this guy is walking, leaping for joy, and celebrating his new life. And so these guys met. They tried to figure out what they were going to do. We can't really arrest them, they said, because this guy is evidence that God's obviously working through them. And so they agree to let them go with the warning, you need to stop sharing the gospel. Their answer to that was, you can decide what you want to do, but we're going to do what God told us to do, and that's to tell people about Jesus as they walk out. Mic drop, right? Verse 23 starts, after they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. So they went back and told them all about the trial. At this point in church history, the, the, the body of believers in Jerusalem, they're all still gathering regularly. 
And they're in one accord. Acts 2.42 reports this. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. I'm sure that they were praying for Peter and John as they were engaged in this illegal trial. The experience Peter and John just had with the religious leaders wasn't a surprise. It was the beginning of what Jesus foretold would happen to believers as we obey His command to fulfill the Great Commission, to go out into all the world and to share the Gospel, to tell them about Jesus, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the consequence of that. Now, while persecution of the saints is an avenue for the spread of the Gospel, it is not something that we endure alone. God grows His church through the bold proclamation of the Gospel, and His promise to us is that persecution will follow to those who live in obedience to His Word. But His promise is also that we will not have to do it alone. Matthew 10, 16 and 20, Jesus says, Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Because, uh, therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as, as doves. Beware of them, because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour, because it isn't you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. So the persecution of the church is one of the primary pathways through which the world will hear the gospel. And what God says, what Jesus promised, is that in the midst of that persecution, God's going to give you the boldness to stand firm in the truth. Make no mistake about it, church. To stand in the midst and receive persecution is a step of faith. But when we take that step of faith, what God says is, I will meet you there in that place, and I will give you the words to speak. I will give you the strength to stand for the Gospel. The important question in this circumstance is how do the believers respond to persecution? When you read about these accounts or hear a story about someone boldly sharing the Gospel, do you ever think, man, I wish that I could do that? Anybody? Man, when I run into someone and hear about what God's done in their life or hear about them telling someone about Jesus, I'm like, man, I wish that I had that boldness. Any of y'all ever follow the, the late uh, Billy Graham's ministry when he was alive? If you've never read his autobiography, uh, it's called Just As I Am. It's phenomenal. Something you learn from, something I learned from him when I read that book was that his boldness, his, his willingness to stand in front of thousands was fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit through consistent prayer and fellowship with believers. Everything he did was bathed in prayer and supported by others who stood behind him and at times held him up so he could stand in front of those 
people and share the gospel. He didn't just stand in front of uh, 20,000 people at a time. He was also faithful to share the gospel with one person at a time. He stood before kings and governors, all kinds of leaders. One thing that he did well, one thing that people who are bold to share the gospel do well, is they recognize the Lord's sovereignty in every circumstance. And that's what Peter and John do in this particular text. That's what the church did in the early church, early days of the church. If you want to be bold to share the gospel, your step of faith, your first step of faith, is to recognize that God is sovereign in the midst of that conversation. God is sovereign in your standing in front of governors, in front of your boss, in front of your family, in front of your friends and neighbors. Your standing in front of them is the work of God, and He's the one in control of the spiritual things that happen as you boldly proclaim the gospel, okay? How do I know that? Look at verse 24. When they heard this, that's John and Peter's report, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. So the believers no doubt recognize the persecution that they are about to receive. They look back into the Word of God and they recognize three things. First, their response to persecution is characterized by unification in prayer. Verse 24 says that they raised their voices together to God. Let me tell you about God. I'm going to remind you of a few things because I know that all of you know this. Our God is a God of order. Amen? Our God is a God of unity. Amen? Our God is a God of peace. Amen? Our God is a God who loves His church. And so, when His people are gathered together praying to our God, we will by nature be unified in Him. If you found yourself in my office to discuss struggles in your life or relationship issues, the first thing I talk about when I have a husband and wife or people come for premarital counseling or even those uh, that are friends that are having a conflict, I draw a triangle on my whiteboard. And I show, here's you and here's you. And the struggle that you're walking through right now exists because of sin. And so there's a line between you and there's arrows pointing out. That sin is what drives us apart. It could be our selfishness. It could be mistakes we made in the past. It could be the, the pressure the world puts on us to do things that are unbiblical and ungodly. All of that, that's what disunifies us from one another. But when we focus our eyes on the Lord, the top part of that triangle 
because of His nature, because of who He is, and because of what He's promised to do in us, when we pray to Him, when we focus our eyes on Lord Jesus, we cannot help but be unified and brought together. Church, if we're going to stand in the midst of persecution, if we're going to be bold in proclaiming the gospel, we've got to be a church who prays. We've got to raise our voices to God. So they were unified in their prayer. Second, they focused on God's Word. As they prayed together, they looked back into what they had, which was the Old Testament. And in this text, they quote Psalms 1 and 2. God gave them inspiration to understand that that passage was also a prophecy about what would happen in the age of the church and the recent events that they endured. The text in Psalm 1 and 2 reminded them of God's sovereignty and the fact that He isn't surprised by any of these circumstances that they're enduring. And that God would take what the enemy and His enemies intended for evil and He would use it for good and for His glory and for His good pleasure. And thus what the church is doing is they're recognizing God's sovereignty. Listen to their response to Psalm 1 and 2, which we find in verse 28. Do whatever your hand and your will have predestined to take place. Even in the midst of these difficult circumstances, when it is likely that these believers are going to lose their homes, their jobs, they're going to be disowned by their family, they're going to lose inheritance, their lives are going to become very, very difficult. This is their response. Whatever you want, Lord. Whatever you want. Whatever you have willed to take place in my life, so be it. How do we respond as a church? How, how do you and I respond? Living today, how do we respond when we're confronted with persecution? Most of us are persecuted indirectly by an evil world system, by pop culture that despises Christianity. I remember when I was on vacation a while back, it was probably maybe eight, nine years ago, we would go every summer to Anna Maria Island and all the family would get together and we all had these little places where we, we stayed, um, little bungalows, and, and I was in the house and I was working on my sermon for the next Sunday while everyone else was at the beach I was there for a couple hours, and I remember that the, the bug man was coming by, right? It was like his, his monthly visit to the house. So I'm in there working on my, my sermon, and this guy comes in. And I, I'm not even going to kid you. Some of you will recognize this. The moment he walked through the door, the Holy Spirit said, you need to share the gospel with that guy. It wasn't even, it was unmistakable. I didn't hear a voice, but it was about as close as you could get to hearing the Holy Spirit speak. I felt in my spirit God was telling me, you need to tell him about Jesus. My answer, I'm on vacation. Apparently, you can't share the gospel on vacation in my mind, right? I'm just being honest with you guys. Then I thought, then I felt guilty for saying that to the Holy Wait, wait, wait. Jesus died for me while I'm on vacation too, right? So the Great Commission extends to even vacation. And so that excuse went out the door. 
And I felt very convicted about that. So I, I knew, okay, well, that's no good. So he's here now. He's like spraying things. My next answer to the Lord as he continued to convict my heart to share the gospel, my answer to him was, look how busy he is. He's moving around real fast. He's got a job to do. That guy doesn't have time to talk to me. Right? So now I'm answering for him. Like, he doesn't want to hear the gospel. He doesn't want to receive the life that Jesus has to offer. He would rather just continue on his day and never hear about Jesus and the gift of everlasting life. That was my answer to the Holy Spirit. Because, of course, I know more about this man than he does. Right? And I did eventually break down because I had to sign some papers, so I was confronted. He was literally standing next to me because I had to sign the paper to recognize that he came in. And so I shared the gospel with him. Thank the Lord I was obedient in that instance. It's not always the case. What was that inside of me that discouraged me from telling him the gospel? Why did I come up with two or three excuses for not telling him about Jesus? Why was I, listen, why was I hoarding God's grace to myself? Because that's what I was doing. It's because, really two things. It was first because of my flesh, being lazy, not wanting confrontation, not wanting to expend the energy, and maybe being worried that he would not enjoy what I had to say with him about Jesus. The second is, the world tells us, pop culture, cancel culture tells us to keep your mouth shut. Right? Whatever you want to believe, that's fine with you. That's even, by the way, going out the door. Now, culture's telling us that we're not allowed to believe what we want. Now, it's not good enough. Now, we need to believe what the world tells us we need to believe. That is indirect persecution from this culture, which, by the way, is controlled by the enemy, Satan. Do not allow this culture to dictate what you believe. That's what this is for. The unchanging Word of God that came from God. That's more indirect persecution. There's other people in this world and some missionaries that I've spoken with that actually receive direct persecution. Direct persecution is the direct um, confrontation uh, of us for our faith. Now, that's less common here, but I will tell you a story about some international missionaries who were called by God from here in the United States, came from a Christian family. I'll put that in air quotes. A family that went to a Baptist church that proclaimed that they loved Jesus. Well, this couple got married. They had some kids. They were on fire for the Lord. And they started to have the Lord give them this burden for the nations to leave the United States and to go other places to tell people about Jesus who had never heard about him. So they went into the International Mission Board. They went through the process, and they received a calling. They're, they were going to go somewhere far away in a difficult place. They announced their uh, plans to the family, thinking, oh man, they're going to pray for us. It's going to be awesome. Do you know what one of the, the parents, do you know what their parents did? Do you know what grandma and grandpa did? They took them to court to try and take away their kids. 
because it was too dangerous for them to take those kids overseas. That's their own parents. Now the Bible says this is going to happen. We are going to endure both indirect and direct persecution. And so we've got to be ready. And the good news is, is our Lord Jesus promises that He will walk with us through that and He will make us bold. So we've got to do three things. When we look back, at, we're going to use as a model what the early church did in verses 24 to 28. And we're going to do those three things. We've got to get serious about praying together. All great movements of God start with prayer. Unifying prayer in the church. We've got to be praying together. I think we as a church are not reaching our full potential because we're not praying together regularly and with fervency. 1 John 5.14 says, This is the confidence we have before Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. James 5.16 says the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. I can tell you, it is the will of God that people hear the gospel. So if we would gather together as a church and and pray for opportunities to be bold in our faith, to stand up for the gospel, you know what's going to happen? We're going to get those opportunities. We're going to become bolder in our witness. Number two, we need to focus on God's word. God's Word is the guide for our life. We need to read it. We need to meditate on it. We need to obey it. Psalm 119.105 says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light on my path. A recent LifeWay research study found that 45% of people who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. That's okay. But over 40% of the people attending their Bible only read it occasionally. That's once or twice a month. Almost one in five people who say they go to church regularly never read their Bible. Now, if the Bible is the Word of God, and if it is the lamp that lights our path, how will we know as a church where to walk unless we study it, unless we read it? The great news is it's here. And copies of this are easy to attain. And you can start reading and studying this today. If you want boldness to share your faith, if you want to stand for Christ, start by reading His Word. Finally, third, as the church did, we need to recognize God's sovereignty. I think that we carry too heavy of a burden on our shoulders I think part of that's because of pride, right? I can take care of this. I can do this. You see, the problem is, is we're walking under our own power when we have the infinite power of God willing to walk with us and work through us. It's like we're willing to live using a couple little little double-A batteries when we've got the Holy Spirit and His infinite power ready to charge us up and send us out. Psalm 55.22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. You know what that means? He'll never allow the righteous to be knocked over, put down. 
He'll give you all the power that you need to do His will. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. Peter 1, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you at the proper time. Cast all of your cares on Him, because He cares about you. Church, we're walking under our own power and in and according to our own authority, when we need to be walking in the power of God. When we approach something that we have trouble with, when, when we're trying to share the gospel, when we're called to live in a bold way for Him, we're only going to be able to do that when we recognize His sovereignty and live in accordance with His power and His authority. So when the call comes for you to stand for the gospel, whether that's a, a, uh, uh, the quiet voice of the Holy Spirit telling you to share with you know, a son or a daughter or a husband or a wife or a grandma or the next door neighbor, when that call comes, we're, we're void of any kind of excuse to not share the gospel because what happens when we share the gospel is really up to the Lord. Our call is just to share it, just like those kids shared in the microphone. I love Jesus. That's what you're called to do. That's it. You don't need to worry about how they respond. I mean, obviously we want them to receive Jesus and be saved. But how they respond is between them and the Lord. You're the messenger of the gospel. As a result of persecution, the early church and we must unify in prayer, focus on God's word and surrender to God's sovereign will. We may share the gospel with authority because Jesus is sovereign. Look at verse 29. It says, And now, Lord, consider their threats. This is their prayer, the church's prayer to God. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In their prayer to God, they recognize who Jesus is and what Jesus can do through them. Church, I wonder, I wonder if we're afraid to ask God something like this because we know what will happen. I'm afraid that we're afraid to pray a prayer like this and ask God to give us boldness so that we can share the gospel, to use us to whatever end He wills it. I'm afraid that we don't want to pray that because we're afraid to give up the things that this world has given to us. Because we hold on too tightly to the things of this world instead of being willing to release them for God and for His glory. The Christian life isn't a life of worldly pleasure and ease. Those are the things that this world has to offer. Jesus offers us something better. I want to tell you six things that Jesus has to offer us. You tell me if these sound good. How about joy? Anybody want some joy? 1 Peter 1.8 Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though not seen Him, now you believe in Him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. He also brings with him peace. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Somebody's encouraged today, right? We've got purpose. Romans 8, 28. It says, We know all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. We have confidence in Christ. Psalm 27.3 says, Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war break out against me, I will still be confident. With that comes persecution. Matthew 10, 17 and 18 says, Beware of them, because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. I've got pastor friends who are, who are going through things like this right now in California. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. That's a promise to us. When we live a righteous life in accordance with God's word, when we stand boldly for the gospel, that will eventually happen to you. He also promises that we will be on mission. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We're a part of that promise. We're a part of that mission from Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus provides us with the very best possible life now and in eternity. But the life that he promises us isn't going to be the same life that pop culture says is good. My fear is that we've settled for too little. When so much more awaits us when we boldly follow the Lord. We've settled for silence when God's designed us to share. We've settled for earthly treasure when God has called us to lay up treasures in heaven. We've settled for worldly happiness when God designed us to experience heavenly joy. We've settled for confidence in the flesh, confidence in ourselves, while God designed us to place our confidence in Christ. We've settled for tranquility when God dressed us in armor for spiritual battles. We've settled for 30-year plans like climbing the corporate ladder, amassing as much wealth as possible, preparing for retirement somewhere down the road that will enable us to do anything that we want with our lives when God has designed us for a mission and to be used by Him in mighty ways, in ways that change our lives and the lives of those who live among us. In light of this reality, what will we do? I think the answer is simple. We need to do what the early church did. Acts 4.29, we need to do what they did. We, we need to go and say, And now, Lord, consider these threats and grant that your servants may speak with all boldness. Are we bold enough, church, to pray that prayer? I mean to legitimately pray that prayer because we know that God will show up. We know that God will give us opportunities to be bold for Him Will we pray that prayer? The promise from God is that He will meet our needs to fulfill His mission. This is the encouraging part. Verse 31. So they pray the prayer. They ask God to give them boldness. They ask God to show up. 
and to help them in the midst of this encouragement. Verse 31 says what happened next. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. So they pray to God by faith, asking God to show up. God, we're being persecuted. We're being arrested. Please, God, please give us boldness to stand and and tell people about Jesus. They were obviously already filled with the Holy Spirit when they were born again, but this is a a filling uh, by the Spirit that gave them boldness, that gave them an opportunity, a fresh filling, a renewed awareness of His power and presence in their life, a fresh empowerment by God's Spirit. Last, Luke reports what they did as a result of this. Look at the text. They began, to, they began to speak the Word of God boldly. You know, sometimes sermons are, are subtle. Sometimes sermons you know, take time to settle in our heart and help us to understand what God's saying to us. Today is not one of those days. Today is more like a sermon in the form of a 20-pound sledgehammer. The truth is obvious. It's clear what God wants us to do. We're going to move now into a time of invitation. I want to invite the team to make their way up. Looks like they're already doing that. And I want to ask you to respond this morning as the Lord leads. What is the Holy Spirit leading you to do? Some of you in here need to be saved. You need to take that first step of faith. You need to hand over your life to Jesus. You need to surrender yourself to Him and repent from your sin and trust in Him as Lord and Savior. That's the first step. Some of you need to do that today. And the good news is you can do it today. In a minute, everyone's going to stand and we're going to sing a song together. And if you need to be saved today, I want you to come forward I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to show you how you can do that. Some of you, you're believers and you need to take a stand for your faith. As I shared the message and you read about the church, I'm sure some of you had a fire started inside of your heart by the Holy Spirit. You thought, I want to be that person. I want to stand for the Lord. Oh, that I would have that kind of boldness. The good news for us is that boldness is available through the Lord Jesus and the ministry of His Holy Spirit. All you got to do is ask for it. All you got to do is ask. And by asking, you're agreeing to take that step of faith, that big step of faith, into the unknown, trusting that when the moment comes that God will give you the power and the words to stand for the gospel. God grows his church through boldness. God desires for this church to grow. Do you believe that? He's going to do it through you. Each one of you individually is the tool, is, is the avenue is the fire that God desires to use to grow His church. It's up to all of us. 
It's up to all of us as a church, and it's up to all of us individually to be ready and willing to boldly stand for the gospel. If you have a decision to make in just a moment when we begin to sing, please come forward. The altar is open for you to pray. If you want to join this church, we'd love to have you. If you need to be baptized, we can talk about that. Whatever that decision is that God's called you to make, maybe from your seat, he's called you to to boldly stand for the gospel, and maybe today you just need to decide, I'm going to do that. I'm going to stand for the gospel. Whatever it is, don't let this moment pass, this moment of decision for you to stand for Jesus. I want to invite everybody to stand now as we have this time of invitation. Respond and submit to whatever it is that God's doing in your heart. Heavenly Father, I pray over this body today. We've gathered to worship you, and I I pray, Lord, that you found our worship to be a pleasant offering. But now, during this time of invitation, we ask that you move in a mighty way. First, give us the confidence and the boldness to submit to whatever it is you're calling us to do. And then give us the strength to follow through with that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.